You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual The Choicer Challenge has gotten me in trouble a couple of times. The Choicer Challenge, of course, is when a right-wing Republican politician says that being gay is a choice. I challenge them to prove that being gay is a choice by choosing it themselves. Uh, I did this to Herman Cain. I've done it to Mike Huckabee. And to the consternation uh, of a lot of right-wing Republicans, I recently did it to Ben Carson, the neurosurgeon who said that being gay is a choice and it's a choice that we make in prison. And so I challenged him to prove it. There's a switch you can flip in your brain that turns you gay uh, and there isn't. You can win the argument by flipping that switch, sucking my dick. I'll videotape it. We'll put it online. You win the argument. You chose it yourself to demonstrate how it's a choice. Uh, Tragically, this weekend, Marco Rubio, who is conceivably the only Republican seeking the nomination – who I might like to have suck my dick, who I could kind of picture sucking my dick because he's the young and attractive and fresh and new middle-aged man running for the presidency, said on the television that being gay is not a choice. So Marco Rubio, I will not have to issue the choice or challenge to him. Of course, he doesn't believe that gay people are entitled to civil rights protections. He doesn't think we should be able to get married. But we didn't choose this. It chose us. So – Marco Rubio, no choice or challenge for you. Thank you for acknowledging that being gay is not a choice. It would be nice to see you let go of yesterday's ideas about being gay, that we should be thrown out of the military, we should be discriminated against in housing and public accommodation and marriage uh, and get with the you know equal 14th Amendment applies to the queers to modern tomorrow thing. But at least you don't think it's a choice. And speaking of gay marriage, which is an issue that is plaguing and dividing Republicans, which is nice to see because it used to be an issue that divided Democrats. Now they're all having to go on the record about whether or not they would go to a gay person's wedding. Uh, Scott Walker, the governor of Wisconsin, he has been to a gay person's wedding reception. His sister, who's a lesbian who got married. Marco Rubio says he you know, disapproves of the sin, but he would go to the wedding celebrating uh, commitment to that sin. He would go – Rick Santorum, tragically, will not come to your gay wedding. Santorum, however, will make an appearance at your gay honeymoon if you do it wrong. Ted Cruz, he won't come to your gay wedding either. They're all having to go on the record about whether or not they would come to a gay wedding. Uh, And in the midst of this, the Heritage Foundation is – Talking up an amicus brief, Uh, same-sex marriage is coming before the Supreme Court again and amicus briefs are just busybody papers that people who don't have a dog in the fight and aren't really a part of the argument and aren't going to be in court, they they file these friend of the court briefs with the Supreme Court saying, hey, here's where we are on this issue, just so you know. They want to like give their two cents and the right-wingers gave their two cents this weekend and it's a little crazy. It's a new variation on these straight people are terrible argument against marriage equality. They've made this argument a a few times. They've argued that straight people will stop getting married if gay people can get married. They've argued that marriage must be reserved for straight people because only straight people can get pregnant by accident and without the special inducements of marriage, the big party, the special cake, the shiny ring, the honeymoon, straight people won't take care of all those babies they're having by accident. That you need this very special prize just for you straight people to get you straight people to hang out with each other and take care of the shitty kids you're accidentally making together. 
These are literally – I'm not paraphrasing. These are the arguments that they're making. And they came up with a new one that really tops all of these this weekend. These conservative groups, these scholars, these professors at Christian colleges are now arguing that if we let gay people get married, straight people will abort all their babies. Not making it up. Quoting from an article sent out by the Heritage Foundation, the right-wing think tank, in a nutshell, a reduction in the opposite sex marriage rate means an increase in the percentage of women who are unmarried and who, according to all available data, have much higher abortion rates than married women. I'm not sure that there's a link there that lesbians, if they get opposite sex married, are less likely to have abortions. If there's some decline in the marriage rate among heterosexuals and this is leading to a, a higher abortion rate amongst all those single women, maybe that has nothing to do with whether gay people and lesbians can get married. Maybe these are two separate things. Maybe this is some shit that straight people need to work on. And it has nothing to do with us, but here's the Heritage Foundation trying to link them and trying to make the argument that if we let gay people get married, then you people, you straight people, you're going to abort all the babies. These are the arguments against gay marriage. These are what they're left with. This desperate sort of clinging to straws. And it all amounts to, you know, straight people suck. Unless gay people are getting beat up in the streets and not allowed to marry and discriminate against, straight people aren't going to get married. Unless gay people aren't allowed to get married, straight people aren't going to take care of their kids. And, and if gay people are allowed to marry, then straight people will kill all the babies. Because straight people suck. Straight people are terrible. It makes you wonder why we ever let straight people get married in the first place. Well, the Heritage Foundation makes you wonder that. Those of us who actually know and like straight people... We know that these arguments are bullshit, that straight people aren't these monsters, these idiots. Straight people aren't terrible. If you really had nothing to go on except the religious rights remaining arguments against same-sex marriage, you would just think straight people were the worst people ever. But I know too many straight people, including Nancy Hartunian, producer of the Savage Lovecast, to believe that. And I don't think the Supreme Court is going to believe it either. Okay, coming up today on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, me and Cheryl Strayed in a live before a giant screaming, yelling audience in Portland, Oregon, clash of the advice titans showdown battle. You're going to want to hear that. If you're not already a subscriber to the Magnum, you can go to savagelovecast.com, spend five bucks, subscribe for a month and give the Magnum a try. Calls, questions, experts, all of it coming up today on the show. Hi, Dan. So I've been thinking a lot about the past, and I've realized that there's a particular event that I would really like to get your take on. Uh, during my last relationship, I decided it would be sexy to tell my boyfriend about a previous crazy night I'd had in college. Uh, we agreed that we both enjoyed swapping stories like this, though in retrospect, I don't think that was genuine on his part. During this crazy night, I slept with two good friends. Uh, they were good friends with each other. They were just acquaintances with me. So I ended up sleeping with them consecutively uh, without letting the second one know that I had been with his friend less than 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> uh, it was not planned, and I used the condom with both. After this story, my boyfriend said he was disgusted with my past behavior. Uh, so I took this as a sign of sex negativity and shaming. Both guys had made advances towards me in front of each other, and neither had done so under the premise that there'd be any relationship in the future. 
Also, later, I found out that the second guy had actually heard me with the first, and he thought it'd be hot, um, and that there were no hard, well, uh, <laughs> sad feelings. So, was I lucky they weren't upset? Was my behavior disgusting? Is there an argument for being polite and not pitting friends against each other? Is it necessary to disclose that you just slept with someone's friend, even if everyone involved is admittedly just looking for sex? Is it necessary to disclose? That's the question. I'm a fan of disclosure. I think people should always err on the side of disclosing. And had you disclosed, knowing what you know now, Mr. Number Two would have been totally happy about going second. He, you found out later that he'd heard you fucking Mr. Number One. Uh, and when you showed up in his room or wherever he was when you went and found him and fucked him, he was only too delighted and thought he was hot. So if you had gone to Mr. Number Two and said, I just fucked your friend and now I'm going to fuck you, it sounds like he would have been like psyched, totally happy, up for it. Right? We know he was happy and up for it. He went ahead and did it. So there would have been no harm in disclosing and you wouldn't have cost yourself this kind of awesome young person, daring, crazy sexual experience for having disclosed and then having disclosed would have prevented your sex negative judgy game playing, draw you out and then slam you and judge you and shame you ex for good reasons, boyfriend, you would have denied him that stick to beat you with. You know, he picked up the stick of these guys weren't both fully informed, therefore perhaps not fully consenting, blah, blah, blah. You're a bad person. When what he actually meant was, oh my God, you slept with two guys at once and just he shifted to totally fucking slut shaming you. If a guy had slept with two girls who were friends consecutively, whether it was minutes apart, 20 minutes apart, a day apart, two weeks apart, most guys, probably even your ex-boyfriend would be like, oh, you're such a stud, but you did it and you're a girl and that's not okay and it probably wasn't the kind of sexual adventures that he wanted to hear about from you because of who he thinks women are or should be or who he thinks the kind of girls he dates must be. So, yeah, you didn't do anything wrong. Sounds like a great killer, fun, sexy, crazy night. You used condoms with both of them. You weren't misleading anybody. The sex was already on the table as a casual thing. You had casual sex with both of these guys just without, I don't know, what's the Queensberry rules about how much time has to elapse between fucking one guy and then fucking his friends? 20 minutes isn't enough is two days, 20 hours, 20 weeks. What would it have been? I don't think you could come up with a number that works for your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend, because the problem wasn't what you did. It was that you did it. Because the problem wasn't the timing or the non-disclosing. The problem was the doing. And you want a guy who loves the sexually adventurous girl that you are, who did something kind of sexy and naughty and awesome and made two guys night. You want that kind of guy, not this sex-shamey, lying, manipulative jerky guy that you're rid of. Congratulations. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 25-year-old bisexual female. I'm in a friends with benefits relationship that's going really well. Uh, the guy's a great listener. He's wicked smart. He has a truly magnificent dick. Um, there is a problem, though. Out of the handful of times that we've fucked, I've only had one orgasm. This worries him. He's always asking me how he can get me off to that we're working on it. But... I recently came to the realization that the reason I'm not coming may be because I'm not particularly attracted to his body. 
My type has always been men and women who may have a couple of extra pounds or are very muscular. Um, my friend with benefits, however, is super thin, um, almost skeletal, and it's a huge turnoff. There's just no, I want to rip your clothes off kind of feeling. Um, so I guess I have two questions. One, do I keep trying with this relationship because everything else is really great and hope that I learn to love his body? Or do I call it off? I will only be living in the area for another three months or so, so it's not like we have a lot of time left. And my second question is, if I do call it off, well, what do I tell him? I don't want to body shame him, so I'd never feel comfortable telling him that he's just too skinny for me because that would be really hurtful. But I also don't want to keep him in the dark. And I'm a terrible liar. So um, I hope you can help. Thanks a lot, Dan. So you've had sex a handful of times with your fuck buddy and you've only come once. Uh-huh. And you're 23 years old and you're bi. I'm 25, actually. I remembered I got off the phone. I was like, I told him I was 23, but I'm actually 25. Oh, my God. Rounding down already. Well, that's your lady. I don't light. know how that happened. <laughs> that's your ride as a lady. Okay. Those That one Whatever. time that you came, were you doing something different? No, we actually had just gotten high, so that's probably why. Okay. And so I was a little bit more relaxed. Were, were you having, you know, when you, uh, when you climax, is it just from intercourse mm-hmm. alone? Or are you incorporating no. vibrators, fingers? Fingers usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's never just intercourse that gets me the climax. Right. That's 75% of women intercourse doesn't do that for 75% mm-hmm. of women cannot climax from intercourse alone. It bears repeating. I don't think it can be put out there into the world enough. All you guys out there listening to the sound of my voice, three out of four women cannot come just because you put your magic dick in their magic pussy. You got to do more. <laughs> now you do more, you play with yourself and, and just the sight of his like skeletal body is such a turnoff that as you play with yourself, you cannot become aroused enough to climax. Some, it's re- Yeah. Sometimes. Shut your eyes. And it's like, oh, I know. I've tried that. And I don't know. I think that it, like, I don't know. He's so, um, like, he likes to narrate. And he's very, like, in the moment. Like, hey, do you like this? Hey, let's move this. And so it's like, we're very, we're, we communicate a lot. But that means that I can't, like, kind of remove myself from that, from, like, the visual aspect. <laughs> right. Well, you could. So you could tell him to shut up. You could say, I mean, yeah, the narration doesn't work for me. He, right here, right here yeah. now in the moment, I want you to shut up. You could say that. I mean, if you want to keep I fucking him, that. you don't have to keep fucking him. Yeah. You just say you like him and he's attentive and he's nice and he's kind. And it's a friends with benefit relationship and he's treating you better than a whole lot of people in FWB arrangements treat right. each other. He's not treating you like you're a, you know, the dirty t shirt under the bed that he mops up with. He's treating you like a person that he has a relationship with, a friends with benefit relationship with. Yep. He's very good to me. That's that's why I want to keep this going. Okay, well then to keep it going, you might have to make some tweaks, like always being high, like telling him to shut the fuck up so you can picture the guy you wish you were with. Right? You are using each other as masturbatory aids. If you you know it's a yeah. friends with benefit relationship, on some level you're an object and so is he in the moment. You are the human mm-hmm. flashlight. He is the magnificent <laughs> dick that you get to use instead of a sex toy. And you're meeting each other there and everything's above board and honest and, and friendly and you're communicating. But you are meeting yourself on this plane of like we're here as physical objects to meet each other's needs and to be good and decent and kind to each other. But mm-hmm. because of either circumstance or some other thing, you're not each other's ideal partners and you're not moving toward a relationship, right? 
Right, so, right. So it's okay to objectify him. It's okay to like use him for his dick so long as you treat him like a human being who has feelings and you're considerate. Okay. And for him to do the same to you. But if you can't catch that vibe that you need to get off in the sex, if he's using toothpicks to prop your eyelids open the entire time or running his mouth at such a clip that you can't close your eyes and think of the rock, whoever it is you think mm-hmm. of when you masturbate, <laughs> you got to like over up and tell him to tell him that the narration doesn't work for you. And you want to have some sex okay. with eyes closed and silence and just feeling and movement and body. Yeah. Well, and that's also a problem is because he's very bony. Um, and so, you know, like sometimes like his hip bones will like, I don't know, like, rel- like, I don't know, grind into me in like, an uncomfortable way. And, like usually we move, but it's, it's hard to avoid how bony he is. Well, this is a case for, he's not allowed to come over until he's eaten a deep dish pizza every single time. Yeah, he's yeah. got to come over. I want to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, I don't think that would I be fair. I want to tell him like, please eat more junk food, but I can't obviously. <laughs> there are girls out there who like the skinny boys. I'm one of those girls who mm-hmm. likes the skinny boys. So maybe you're not the yeah. right fuck buddy for him. And now, now let's game out. Right. If you do decide you want to end it. You don't go to him and say, your body repulses me. I find your body so <laughs> repulsive. I cannot climax. Let's like apply the golden rule. Jesus just walked into the room. We're going to apply the golden rule. Is that how you would uh-huh. want to be treated yourself? Would you want that no, done unto not. you? You know, you're wondering why no. I'm not coming. It's because look at you. That's why I'm not coming. No one wants to hear that. So you don't say that. Right. Okay. You tell the white lie and it doesn't matter if you're a bad liar. When you tell the white lie, everybody is, you say, I just feel like we're not clicking. It's me. It's not you. You're wonderful. Let's like go back to being really great friends and find other fuck buddies because the, yeah. the, the sex, it was awesome. But I think, I think we're done. I think we're done with that part of our connection and our relationship. It's cemented our bond, but I, I think I'm done. I think we're done with the sex, but let's be good to absolutely. each other. But you know, you absolutely, yeah. you know, in answer to your question, you don't go to him and say, look at you. What a fucking turn. Yeah. Have you seen your body? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm surprised I could get wet at all. You you wouldn't want him to say, you know, if he wanted to end it, well, look at you. It's a miracle my dick ever got hard. Would you want to hear that? Oh, no. Okay. Well, then you don't say that. Okay. I won't. <laughs> you, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about the, I call it the campsite rule, how you should treat somebody when there's like an, a large age and or experience gap where you leave them in better shape than you found them. That okay. a lot of people, whenever I talk about that, will say that should apply in all circumstances in all relationships, and it really should. And this is a circumstance where, mm-hmm. if you told the scalding truth, you would leave him probably in worse shape than you found him. That that would right. hurt his sexual self esteem, and in ways that are that that, that really aren't fair or, or necessary. Because just because because you don't like his body in the condition that it's in, doesn't mean that his next girlfriend won't love his body for right. the you know bag of bones that it is. There are people who like those skinny boys. I am one of them. So you don't mm-hmm. want to, when he finds his next girlfriend who's really into his body, you don't want him thinking, oh, she hates my body and she's lying to me or I'm so self-conscious mm-hmm. now because of what my last girlfriend or fun fuck buddy said to me. Don't do that. Okay. I won't. But I actually do think you can continue to make this sex work. Tell him to okay. shut up, get high, close your eyes. Okay, I'll do that. Good luck. Thank you so much. Hi, Dan. 35 year old lady from Texas. My husband and I have been together for about nine years, and in that time, he's gone down on me probably about a dozen times total. First half of our relationship, I would bring it up. He would do his best to mollify me, and I would go about my business. And after six months, a year, 
second half years, kind of like to take the hint, probably not going to happen, just going to accept that this is not part of our repertoire, boo-hoo. But then, out of nowhere, the last three times that we've had sex, he's gone down on me, and I I had no idea where this is coming from. Um, he overheard some ladies talking at the water cooler or, or freaking Jesus came down and whispered in his ear while he was sleeping. I don't know. I don't know, but it's awesome, and he just he just goes for it. There's zero timidity there, which brings me to my problem. Um, my husband is gorgeous, and he has this sexy, beardy, stubby thing going on, and it just tears me up, and it leaves me raw and bleeding, and I have to blot versus wipe for the next three days, but I'm so afraid to say anything to him. I even take into whispering around him and, and moving very slowly so I don't scare away whatever possessed him. Um, I'm feeling pretty torn about it. Of course, I asked my two best girlfriends, classic, and one of them says, tell him to shave. You have to advocate for your vagina. She can't talk for herself. And my other friend says, girl, take a grow pad to that shit and palace it up. I think I'm a little more of that camp, but I'm ambivalent. I don't know what to do. And any advice, what to say to him? Can I have it both ways? Can I continue to have this great oral sex and not be bloody walking like I've been riding back afterwards? Please help. P.S. definitely has to be a closet of bigots. First, let's talk about closet of bigots. Uh, I forgot that I hadn't, you know, I brought this up on the show. I talked about it on the podcast, what to call a group of bigots. It's a pride of lions. It's a murder of crows. What is it of bigots? And people have sent in lots of great suggestions, including closet of bigots, uh, a phobe of bigots. Um, but my favorite is a pence of bigots. Mike Pence, governor of Indiana, of course, who ate shit on television. I thought maybe Pence should mean to go on TV and just fucking faceplant eat shit. You know, to, to Pence, that could be what that means. Just like Full Ginsburg means doing all the Sunday uh, political talk shows uh, in a single day. That, that's the Full Ginsburg from a sex scandal from a long time ago. Uh, but somebody suggested Pence of bigots and it just it just works. A Pence of bigots. And so for my money – that's what we're going with. Now, your problem, uh, your husband, who is so shy to go down on you, suddenly starts going down on you like a champ and careful what you wish for because your husband's face is so much sandpaper being applied to your lady parts. And now what do you do? You don't want to say anything. You don't want to make him feel self-conscious. You don't want to go to this man who wasn't eating your pussy often enough or at all for so long and make him feel bad about the way he's been eating your pussy. But this can't go on indefinitely. If he's going to eat your pussy constantly, you can't be walking around with a bloodied twat for the rest of your life potentially. So you are going to have to over up and say something to him. And what you say to him is, this is awesome. You say, Whatever is in the water, whatever's inspiring you to like do this thing for me, I am loving it and I love you and here's a blowjob and when I'm done with this blowjob, we will continue with this conversation and then after the blowjob, you say, there's just one little tiny thing in the afterglow with, with all the natural oxytocins floating around in his brain. You say, there's just one little thing. Your beard is kind of 
grinding my pussy off my body, tearing my labia to shreds. I want you to keep eating my pussy, but it's going to have to be an after-shaving activity. Or you're going to have to go from stubble to beard because stubble shreds, beards don't. And just put it out there that if he wants to keep eating and you do want him to keep eating and he should keep eating, that there's just one extra little thing he's going to have to do for you. And there's so much you're going to do for him in return. Plenty more blowjobs where that one came from. He just needs to start shaving. Hi, Dan. I am a 17-year-old straight female living in Utah. And I recently discovered feminism and your podcast and all the great things that go along with that. And I've kind of started to own my sexuality and started to experiment with masturbation and had my forced orgasm within the last year. And that's been really fun and really exciting. But my question is that I've been so socialized by society to be viewed as a passive object. Like whenever you watch TV and you see sex scenes, like it's always just this guy doing stuff to this girl and she just kind of lies back and enjoys it. But you never really see women reciprocating. And I, that's my problem is that when I'm with somebody, I don't know how to reciprocate. Like I don't know what touching is okay to do to a guy that I'm with and I've just never seen that and I don't really know what to do about that. I should probably just ask them, but I feel awkward about that and I realize that that's something I need to work through, but if you had any suggestions, I would greatly appreciate it. Dear 17-year-old straight girl growing up in Utah, uh, I am your gay uncle Dan and I have some advice for you uh, that you probably wouldn't get down at the temple or from your parents. Watch gay porn. It is possible to touch men, to do things to men. And if they're not showing that in the straight porn or the straight erotica or the movies, you don't have to watch gay porn. You can just watch gay movies where there are sex scenes like sex scenes in straight non-porn movies. You will see guys being touched. You will see how you can throw a guy around, how you can touch a guy, how you can chew on his nipples, how you can lick his armpits, how you can finger his hole, how you can move him around in positions that work for you and then fuck yourself on his dick. You will see guys taking their pleasure from other guys and you can project yourself into that circumstance. You can white out one of the guys in your imagination and be the girl in the film And you can also then, so as not to traumatize the teenage boys in Utah that you might be sleeping with, instead of just busting out those gay porn moves that you've been observing at Pornhub or Xtube or wherever you go to watch, uh, you can ask them how they like to be touched. You can tell them you would like to do this, that, or the other. You can begin to touch them in ways and ask them if it's okay, just as you would like to be asked, as you would like to be solicited, particularly at your age where – All these moves and all these experiences are going to be new and different and you're going to want to be with guys who are solicitous of your consent, of your ongoing active enthusiastic consent. You want to be with a guy who asks you when he's about to do something or has started doing something, if this is good for you, if this works for you, you should and can do the same. If there's a particular part of the boy you're with, particular part of his body that you want to touch or experience or taste or manipulate – you can go for it and then ask, you know, you reading their body language, making sure that, you know, if they freeze up or they get tense, you should stop and move on to something else or ask if that was uncomfortable for them or didn't work for them and why. 
just as you know, here we are back at the golden fucking rule, right? Very Jesus-y show we're having here today. Just as you would like to be asked yourself if something is making you tense. You want the guys who are to be paying attention to how the moves they're busting out on you are being received by you. And you should do the same in return for the guys that you're with. But I would encourage you to disinhibit around going for what you want. You are there together to share and take pleasure from each other. Take your pleasure being careful at every step of the way to ascertain, to establish that the way in which you're taking pleasure from them is pleasurable for them as well. And to do that, you just need to use your eyes, pay attention to all their physical cues and use your words. Ask, 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 talk, 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 have fun and watch tons of gay porn and you will see lots that you can do with a dude's body. And in addition to watching all that awesome gay porn to give you all those awesome ideas. I also want you to go to Planned Parenthood's website and read about birth control. Also read about consent. I want you to go to Scarlet Teen. It's a terrific website with tons of great sex ed info that covers everything. The whole spectrum, gender spectrum, the sexual orientation spectrum, the kink and vanilla spectrum, all of it. Tons of great info. While you are now on this 17-year-old and just finding out about sex uh, sort of ravenous uh, stage of life. Be sure you're taking in not just the pornography, not just what you're seeing in movies and film, but also the good information that you need to uh, sustain your sexual health and the sexual health and emotional health of yourself and your partners. Planned Parenthood Scarletine, great resources for that. Hi, Dan. I'm a woman in my 30s, and I'm calling to ask some advice on how to deal with some information recently given to me by my 14-year-old niece. A little bit of background, my family is pretty open, really close. Like I said, my niece is 14. She lives with my parents. Her parents are in and out of the picture. We're very sex-positive, open kind of family, although we don't go into a ton of details. My parents know that, you know, I mostly date guys, but I sometimes like girls and that I usually have more than one person that I'm dating at a time, and they're pretty okay with that. My niece, a few years ago, went through a little bit of a gender identity crisis and wanted to only dress as a boy and wanted to cut her hair totally off and wore fake mustaches, which we were completely fine with. She eventually started you know, wanting to dress more feminine again, and we just kind of figured, you know, let her do what she wants. She's kind of awesome. Uh, She's like the coolest kid in the world. And I love that she will talk to me about stuff. Um, But a couple of weeks ago, she let me know um, that she does a lot of like internet uh, gaming, stuff like that. She's also real into anime and stuff like that. Uh, But she let me know, which she hasn't let anyone else know, that she has been drawing kind of racy, kind of furry porn type stuff for people on the internet. Not only drawing like drawing it on tablets, sending it digitally, but the damn kid also set up a Gmail account that links to a PayPal so she can get money for drawing these things, which she then cashes out an online gift card since she's 14 and doesn't have a bank account. I love that she can tell me these things, trying not to be super judgmental of her, more just concerned about her getting hurt in this process. I had her show me her profile that she uses for this, and it lists her as being, you know, 19. There's no pictures of her. It's all just, like, anime-type drawings of girls wearing cat ears. I 
don't want to be judgmental, but I want to be the good aunt in the situation and uh, just make sure that she's safe. So any advice you have in what I can do to be supportive, but make sure that she knows that she can come to me if she feels unsafe. I don't know. I'm just a little bit torn in how to proceed with this information. So your 14-year-old niece is basically running kind of a lemonade stand, but an anime kink porn version of a lemonade stand. She's found a way to monetize this thing that she's good at, this hobby. And you looked at the website and there are no pictures of her. There's no contact information. Uh, I don't see that there's a lot to be concerned about here. She sounds pretty savvy and she sounds pretty smart. And I think you should err on the side of driving it home that she never put contact information out there that she don't and that she's aware she's kind of and this is obviously what's squicking you out about this she has this little lemonade stand going where she's selling lemonade to perverts and perverts as the furry perverts like to call themselves i'm pro pervert here i'm not using pervert in the perv shaming sense but as you talk to your niece about your only concern here which is she's opened a lemonade stand for furry perverts and she is interacting then with perverts is that not all perverts out there are good people, right? You don't want to perv shame her about who she's interacting with because it sounds like she's a bit of a pervert herself, right? So if you perv shame her clients, if you say all these people who are buying these drawings or interested in these drawings are creepy, sex-obsessed weirdos, you're perv shaming her. And the ability she has now to communicate with you openly about this stuff, that will stop if you make her feel judged and shamed, right? So when you talk to her about her clientele, be sure that you're making a distinction between the most of them who are probably very decent and kind people who just really like her drawings and are, and want to buy them from her decent and kind and loving ferverts and the occasional pervert fervert out there in the world who is a shit bag and there's shit bags in every community. And we all have to be on our guard for the shitbags, whether we're at a frat party on a college campus, whether we're in a gay bar in Milwaukee, whether we're selling drawings, erotic anime style drawings of furries to strangers on the internet, right? They have this PayPal account. It's all anonymous. They can't find her. And she needs to know that if anyone out there asks about her, asks for her contact info, wants to Skype with her, talk with her, that she should shut that down, that she shouldn't do that. She's too young and you don't want to see her exploited. And the kind of person who would ask her for that probably doesn't have her best interest at heart. So she just needs to be wary of the guys who might want to leverage their professional relationship with her into some sort of contact with her. Online contact or in real life contact. She's too young for either or both. But just emphasize that to her and ask her to keep sharing this with you. Ask her to keep this, these lines of communication open with you because if she does get a request from someone that she's tempted by or squicked out by, that she can come to you with it and share it with you and you can help her make the best possible decision in that circumstance. But she sounds pretty savvy. Any 14-year-old girl who can leverage her drawings into gift cards. That's industriousness right there. That is, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that it should be encouraged, not squelched. Don't tell her parents about it. 
Hey, Dan. I'm 32 and a gay Asian guy, and for most of my life, I always considered myself uh, decent-looking. Not too bad, but decent. And recently, though, through heavy workouts and being forced to do a diet realignment due to emergency gallbladder surgery, I've redistributed my weight, and now I've been told that I've become a very good-looking guy. I mean, it's great, and my sex life has definitely improved because of it. And I'm not looking for a relationship right now. I just want to have the fun. Um, but I guess I get, I have an etiquette question when it comes to online hookups. I've taken these um, new body pics and uploaded them to the various websites. And from when I log on to them, it's about four to five minutes before I would get an email message or a smile or a flirt or a wink or whatever. Um, my problem is that there's a lot of people interested in me that I'm interested in. In. I've always had a wide array of tastes and preferences, and I think it stemmed from the uh, beggars can't be chooser mentality I've operated under for a kind of long time. And now when I get these messages and reply, I'm inevitably I'm running my own little private online dating reality show, and at the end I have to pick just one person to play with. I'm not really big into three-way or group scenes, so um, I mostly just one-on-one. I don't want to just fade away on these other guys that I that didn't make the, I guess didn't um, didn't pick, and I don't want to reject the other guy. I don't want to reject them either. I'm really interested in them and I want to play with them at a later time. Just right now, yeah, I'm gonna have to cut you off. You are way overthinking this. Remember the online world, online flirting, people sending you a quick sup or a message. It doesn't create an obligation for you. It's like you know, that online world is the new gay bar and the new straight pickup joints, the new gay bar and that sup or that initial message. It's just basically the equivalent of eye contact, the way people in a bar when they would see you and maybe want to get to know you or meet you or flirt with you would make an effort to conspicuously make an effort to catch your eye, to make that initial bit of eye contact. You were not obligated because somebody made eye contact with you in a bar to walk up to them and say, hey, thank you for the eye contact. I'm totally not interested. You're not my type. I'm not looking for a relationship right now. People would think you're crazy if you did that. If you let everybody in a gay bar who made eye contact with you that you weren't interested, if you went over them and let them down easy, you would look like an insane asshole. So all of those messages that you get from people that you're not necessarily interested in, just regard them as the eye contact in the bar from the guy or guys that you're not particularly interested in meeting or having a drink with or sucking the dick of. And you can just disregard them. Hi, Dan. I actually have a question about a friend of mine. Uh, she's one of my best friends, and she has a brand-new boyfriend. And for the first time, she's actually in a relationship where she can explore her kinky side. She's a dom, and he is learning. And so my question is about, we were out at a bar last night, and everyone was drinking, and having a good time and they were physically hitting each other. So she would hit him up on the backside of the head. He would give her a quick, quick, a light slap to the face. She would run her fingernails down his arm. And most of the people who were with us were uncomfortable with this simply because they just saw that as they were physically violent toward each other, even though it wasn't, it was a really minor kind of contact. But for me, knowing that they're kinky and they're into dom subplay, to me, I saw it as foreplay in public. Now, if I had two friends who were, like, making out hardcore in a bar, I would kind of, when they came up to take a breath, I would kind of tell them to cool it or to leave. So would that be the same situation as this? Like, I don't want to be kink-shaming or anything, and I know she's very excited to be in this kinky relationship now, but if we start doing this again, is it too much for Is it me crossing a line to tell her to fucking chill her guns? 
if a couple of vanilla people were making out and drinking each other's spit by the gallon in a bar in front of you, and that would prompt you to look at them and in a sex-positive, upbeat, affirming way say, looks like it's time for you two to get a room, which is also a way of telling them to knock it off or you know, also putting there on the table that maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable or cut out of the conversation or the company. I don't see why if they're hitting and scratching each other and slapping each other, you couldn't say the same thing. Hey, you two, get a room. I would throw that out there. If I, were, I don't think it's kink shaming. In a way, it's kink affirming because if this is how they do PDA, if this is how they do foreplay and you would say get a room to anybody else, you're just then classing their making out or their foreplay or their scratchy bitey shit. You're classing it together, lumping it together with two vanilla people playing tongue hockey in front of you. So in a way, even though you're telling him to knock it off, it is kink affirming because you are recognizing their sex play as legitimate sex play and as foreplay slash PDA that you and others probably don't want to watch any more than most of us want to watch hardcore PDA. Hi, Dan. This is a 30-year-old woman from the East Coast, and um, I just wanted to know your thoughts on something. My future sister-in-law is going to be having a bachelorette party um, in two weeks, and her maid of honor organized it at a nude gay club. And, God, I've been listening to your podcast for so long, and I agree, it's like shitty and annoying for chicks to go for their bachelorettes to gay clubs, but there's something about it being like a new gay male club that I feel is even, I don't know, it's more shitty in some way, like, that's not our space, but at the same time, I'm also just pretty low-key in general, and she's really intense about the bachelorette having to be X, Y, Z, so I don't want to cause tension. And I'm just wondering what you think I can do, whether it's educating or I don't page anything, whether it's talking about it or mentioning that maybe it's kind of a shitty thing to do on your bachelorette. A lot of gay clubs and even some gay strip clubs like uh, Silverado in Portland, Oregon, have banned bachelorette parties. Uh, in part, you know, Chicago, Sidetracks, a famous gay bar in Chicago, a few years ago banned bachelorette parties uh, because gay couples in Chicago and in Illinois couldn't legally marry. And it was a little insensitive of straight bachelorettes to charge into this gay bar to whoop it up about the wedding that they were about to have that all the guys in the room who may have been with their partners longer than this woman had been with hers weren't allowed to have it themselves. And it was insensitive, classless, and stupid, and sidetracks banned those. Uh, Portland, Silverado, also banned. Now marriage equality has come to Oregon and it's come to Illinois. I actually don't know what the policies are still in those places. Maybe they've sustained the bans on bachelorette parties just because they're fucking annoying. And I think bachelor parties are fucking annoying too. This isn't about sexism. This is about the stupidity of this concept that the night before you get married or a couple of days before you get married, you need to go have fun because marriage means no more fun. And even if that's not how you plan on conducting your marriage, I just think symbolically emphasizing that is stupid. And it makes – it's not true about the way marriage can be. Certainly isn't the way marriage must be. So anyway, I object to bachelorette parties and bachelor parties on principle. Now, if the particular 
gay bar in question that you are going to for this bachelorette party, if they don't object to bachelorette parties, if they welcome them, this, this strip club with fully naked gay dudes, if they don't have a problem with it, if this is actually money that they want to sweep up, it's really not your job necessarily to educate your friend or to talk about it because there's no educating that needs to be done and no talking that needs to be done. Your friend isn't, if that particular bar welcomes it, doing anything wrong. What you need to establish in advance is whether that particular bar welcomes it. Here I am in Seattle. There's a club uh, not too far from where we're recording the Lovecast right now that does this big drag show and they have a bachelorette package that they sell as a part of the show. It's a gay bar with a drag show. Clearly they welcome and want the business of these bachelorettes. Ask your friend, this place we're all going, I won't really be comfortable there if half the place is angry with us or everyone is angry with us and the performers are annoyed by us. Do they want us there? And that's just a visit to the website or a quick phone call away, that information that you need to ascertain that. But again, if the club is into it, the club wants it, the club wants your friend and her idiotic bachelorette party and the idiotic money and the girls with penis necklaces and penis straws – it's not your job to stand between that club and the money your friend and her friends plan to spend in it. So we recently did a Savage Love Live show in Portland, Oregon, and the Double Clicks were there, and Erica Moen was there, and lots of people there. It was a really good time. And there was a surprise special guest, Cheryl Strayed, author of Wild and the author of the awesome advice column, at the rumpus, Dear Sugar. She was in the audience, so we dragged her up on the stage and we had an advice challenge with me and Cheryl Strayed going head-to-head taking questions. Here's some of that for you right now. Now, at the end of our live shows, we usually do an advice slam. It's me and all the other guests answering and arguing about your questions. But tonight, things are going to be different for the end of the show because we have a very special guest tonight to close with. She is also an advice columnist who recently started her own advice podcast. She is a New York Times best-selling author, and the film adaptation of her award-winning memoir was recently nominated for some Golden Globes or Oscars or something. She is amazing, and she lives right here in Portland. And when we found out she was coming to the show tonight and going to be in the audience... We challenged her to come up on the stage for a Clash of the Advice Podcast Titans challenge. Please welcome Cheryl Strayed. Hi, everyone. <laughs> So I'm the king of advice in Seattle, and you're the king of advice in Portland. No, and I'm the motherfucker of advice. <laughs> Not just here in Portland, honey bun. Everywhere. <laughs> so we're, we're like... Actually, no, you know, I have to say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I have been your fan for so long. We can't say that. Okay, I've been okay, your fan, okay, too. Yeah, we'll just pretend. Yeah. I love Dear Sugar. Love it on the rumpus. <laughs> and... I'm embarrassed to admit that for years now, I have been sending out a couple of your columns that really spoke to me and other people with a particular problem. And rather than ever answering that question myself, I send people the link to the columns that you wrote. Because I have to defer to your genius. (laughs) And I'm sure you defer to mine when it comes to fist-fucking and butt plugs. That's right. Any any ass-fucking, I say, call Dan. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I have my rude first question here for you, and I'm oh, going to no. ask it. Oh, okay. So I hear you went for a walk. Yeah. You know what's so funny about that? And I only fucked one person one time on the whole walk. 1,100 miles, fucked one person. Was it People good? still call me a slut. I mean, they say, <laughs> oh, she just had sex her whole way up on the trail. I was like, I think that was pretty mellow. Pretty restrained. Yeah. I was only it... went, met one person, of course. So, yeah, there was that. Too. And it was, I believe it was Laura Dern. How was yeah. she in bed? <laughs> oh, my God. So has everyone had a crush on Laura Dern since, like, 1987? Yeah. Yeah. She is as hot and sexy and luscious and real person as she is in the movies. I don't want to be trans-misogynist or anything, but <laughs> Laura Dern is one of those women that I look at and think, hang a dick on her and I am on it. <laughs> Claire Danes, Laura Dern. Yeah. No, no. Laura will be so flattered to hear that. Yeah. I just like... Will you relay that to her I for will, me? I promise. I, if, I, if I had my phone, we would text her right now. She'd probably text back and tell you something. So how come you started a podcast? To defeat me? Yeah, we just want to take you down. Um, <laughs> What's the name she, of your podcast? It's called Dear Sugar Radio. And we just started it. And, it, you know, I, I sort of did it on the, the same way I undertook writing Dear Sugar to begin with. The, the writer, Steve Allman, asked me to. It sounded like fun. I love talking about other people's problems because I get to then think I don't have any of my own. Right? For me, Is this what yeah. you do? Absolutely. No, it's really interesting. Actually, doesn't giving other people advice makes me a better person? Because, because I don't mean in a superior way. What I mean is because I have to help them think through their problems, I end up thinking through my own. Do you have this? I mean, has it made you more honest in bed and all that I must smoke more pot than you because I like <laughs> bang out a column and forget. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> no, actually, I do think that's kind of true. You're yeah. always... I'm a lesbian inside. I help people process, yeah. I process, I process. No, it's true. I it's go true. home and I, like, process things with my husband. Well, you're always, like, telling people to communicate and all that stuff. And then it's, it's hard to tell people to do that when you yourself are, you know, not doing that with your partner, right? Although I've been dinged for sometimes telling people to shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. There you don't always tell the truth, that a relationship isn't a deposition. No, you I, don't have to answer every question. That sometimes the loving thing to do is to protect your partner's feelings with a lie. I'm with you on that. I, 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 I really agree with you. I know that can be some very controversial advice, and I love that you've been brave enough to give it and stand behind it. Well, your advice is similarly brave, and now we're going to take each other on. Okay, we're going to see. Of, Let's say Clash of advice titans. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, okay. And I picked a right from the Savage Love Files for you to get started. Okay, I'm scared. One from my wheelhouse. I have a diaper fetish and my wife knows. She lets me go to local kink events and enjoy it solo. Is that GGG or should I try to negotiate for more playtime with her at home, even if it's not her kink? Oh my, I, I'm so bummed that my husband isn't here because we have this thing about diaper fetishes. Um, we, 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 which sounds different than I mean it. We, um, <laughs> he's always like, would you still love me if I had a diaper fetish? The answer is yes. Um, but to this person, I think, no, I think that, that it's absolutely, that, that he shouldn't expect his partner to partake in the diaper fetish. She is GGG. She's letting him go out. He's doing his thing. And, you know, it's kind this of like... This is going to be terrible if we stand up here and agree with each other the whole time. I know. I mean, it'd be one thing if she were saying, you can't act on this. She's saying, go to it, buddy. So he needs to respect her, too. 
Yes. Yeah. And he needs to not look a gift whatever in the whatever. A gift, a gift binky in the mouth. That's right. Ah. Because a lot of people wouldn't be, you know, that would that kind of fetish for a lot of people would kind of be a tripwire. It yeah, would be no, it's something a... where they couldn't they couldn't connect with you erotically anymore, just knowing you had that aspect uh, as a part of your sexuality or your sexual expression. Yeah, and she's able to compartmentalize to love the rest of what you bring to the table sexually and give you permission to run off and do that with other adult baby diaper lovers. Like, send her a thank you note and some flowers. And that's yeah. enough. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe he's really pressing it there. I mean, he's lucky that he has somebody who is so compassionate and willing. Yeah, but he's a whiny baby about that's it. That's right. <laughs> totally in character. And we say that in a loving, yeah. very supportive of the adult yeah. baby fetish community. Yeah, totally. We, we love the people with diaper fetishes. How so. does a single lady date online when a promiscuous friend bangs all of the single guys and then calls Dibs smiley face? This well, is a really? straight people thing, and that's I think a straight it's bullshit. People thing. No, yeah, I, the, the dibs thing. Well, see, that's the thing. It's like it's, if somebody's calling dibs, you don't have to listen to them, you know? I mean, d- didn't any of you have, have siblings? You know, they would say, like, you know, they'd get up to get, like, some nachos, you know, and they're, they're like, this is my place, you know, during the commercial. And then you just get up, you sit where they're sitting, and you go, fuck you, man. And um, so I would say... I would advise this. Is this somebody in the room? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, totally. There's no such thing as dibs. I mean, it's one thing if, like, they're married and, you know, it's like, I would like it if you didn't, you know, date my ex-husband, you know, the day after we get divorced or whatever. Like, I understand having some boundaries. How many days after the divorce well, do you have to wait? But if we're, we're talking about somebody who's sleeping around, yeah, you don't get to just, like, be the hoe of... Portland, and then like call every guy. I mean, to be like that he's mine. But it is. A, you're a straight person. I'm gonna call call you out as a straight person. This is a straight person thing that I've noticed because I never get questions from gay people yeah. with this bullshit. Like, you know, he slept with, and I slept with his friend, or I slept with his ex, and now he's mad at me because there's so few gay people, and then even fewer lesbians. That right. you can't be persnickety about who fucked who when, because then you never, ever get laid ever again. Yeah. And but so also, we're like, oh, you're dating my ex? That's awesome. You know, there's some great, he has great quality. We're not like, you're dating my ex? I hate you. How could you? That's a betrayal of me. But straight yeah. people are like, I fucked him once, and you can never touch him, or you're not my friend. Yeah, well, that's pretty much how I feel. Really? Um, but, um... <laughs> That's fucking crazy. <laughs> no, no, it is. I, 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 you're right. It is a straight thing. It is. You know what it it's is? Also... There's only millions of us, but there's billions of you, so you guys can afford to play those bullshit games. There's ten lesbians in Portland. They've all slept with CM's sister. <laughs> what is CM supposed to do? Well, I think, you know, I, no, I think you're right. It is more of a straight thing. But I think, it, I will say that in Portland, and maybe you all will agree with me, I mean, I, uh, the, so many people have fucked each other in Portland. And um, it's because it's a small town, right? I mean, so I actually have many in my friendship circle. There's all kinds of crossover, but we've had to talk about it. And I think that that's, I mean, don't you all talk about it? Yeah, you but all, we're like, like, awesome. Yeah, like, yeah. We're like, oh, you're sleeping with my ex? Can we have a three-way? We're not like, <laughs> my ex. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, but this is, we like difference, right? I mean, we like, we respect difference. When I orgasm, my vagina literally pulsates. My boyfriend can feel it. Is this unusual? (laughs) Is that a problem? (laughs) Well, we always know we're in trouble when when the word literally has been used, right? 
Because what is literally pulsating? What do we think? Let's, let's imagine the literally pulsating vagina. I, I, it's like a sort of, you know, like one of those glow-in-the-dark octopuses, you know? It's like a... That's um, actually how I've always pictured all of them. No, I don't... Th- <laughs> I would like my vagina to literally pulsate. Wouldn't you? It doesn't? It is. I thought during like orgasmic contractions, vaginas went... Like, I thought that was a thing. Like yeah. the inside of that crazy sex toy that Erica brought out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a little more subtle than that for my own vagina. I won't speak for everyone else's vagina. Yeah, don't but, universalize but your no, vagina. You know, so don't worry. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing. Don't you get a lot of letters? I get a lot of letters about people who are worried about... Um, their vaginas. And it's, you know, it's a whole category of literature, really. You know, like, things I did with my vagina, times my vagina didn't come through, um, and, and then, like, what happens when my vagina pulsates. And I would say you're doing... If, you, if your vagina is pulsating, bless you. You're lucky, you know? Like, I am a single mom living in the small town of Hood River. I'm super hot, but got my own thing going and happy by myself here. But I still need to get laid every now and then without causing a local scandal. Help! And it's signed, former First Lady of Oregon. <laughs> oh. See, I, you know, this, this too, I, I wanted to ask you this, Dan. I would say the most challenging question I ever get is from the, like, 28-year-old virgin who's like, I don't understand. Like, it just never happens. Like, I'm never in a situation where I get to have sex with somebody. And I never know how to answer that because I don't relate. Like, I have the opposite problem. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you not have sex with people? I mean, it's like a... And so... It's a constant struggle all day long not to have sex with people. I mean, especially in my 20s, it was like, I would be like, oh, fuck, I didn't mean to fuck you, you know? And and it would just be like... (laughs) Then we did it, you know? And then it was like... So this I have an expression woman, for that kind of question where people write me like, then, 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 you know, I didn't want to, but then it happened. It just like, happened. how'd that happen? So, how did you fuck that person? That's right. Is it, I so, slipped and fell on his dick. <laughs> it was kind of like that a few times for me. But anyway. The, um, you slipped on a puddle of bourbon and fell on a dick. <laughs> You're not going to be gay by the end of the night, honey. <laughs> um, but... Um, <laughs> The woman in Hood River. So I think you're overthinking this, you know, this worry that you're going to be... I mean, I don't think most people in Hood River are going to be scandalized if you start some, you know, some fun in the afternoon, right? Oh, scandalizing. I mean, who gives a It's fuck? like, who cares? You know, go out and find that cowboy or that windsurfer or, you know, whatever. The what? The ski patrol dudes. Yeah, no. Or, or I mean, the grow-up pot trimmer. There is so much... Yeah, no, there's a lot of sweet ass in Hood River. So, it's true. And what they mean by, I think what she means by scandalized is people will know you have sex or had have, you have yeah. had sex and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I think that, well, Dan and I are two people who are not afraid of being scandalous. No. Right? Yeah. No. So, so it's okay. Just join us, you know? Um, except not another advice column podcaster. No. We don't need any more competition than we already represent we to each other. We don't, yeah. He's 21, I'm 49. Thoughts? Ooh, I, you know, I love that. And, and, you know, you would hardly ever get that question if the genders were reversed. And I'll just save you my How long... do you know anything about the genders here? He said oh, he's he... 21, I'm 49. But oh, I'm it could, could be, be, I thought it was, I think you said it was a woman. Okay, no. I'm cough so once if you're a lady. So, 
Okay, so, but, but when everyone went, ooh, it was because they thought the woman, it was a, a woman, right? I thought it was a woman. Yeah, okay, so... Well, it's I, girly handwriting. I'm sorry to, like, gender the handwriting and all that, but... <laughs> Well, we, uh, well, let's just answer the question as if we do not know the genders, because we don't. Um, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, I, I think that they're just having fun with each other. And obviously, things will come up that might be uh, difficult because of the age difference. But you I think know. the usual objection to this sort of arrangement is, you know, the, the fear that the 49-year-old is exploiting the 21-year-old right. and has more power. But also, but I think what underlies, you know, the, the real bedrock objection here is people look at this and say... Well, that can't be anything serious. It can't be long-term, as if long-term is the only measure of a relationship's validity or right. success. That if you two are good to each other and you enjoy each other, and he gets sort of an exposure to your you know, experience and wisdom at 49, although I'm 50 and I'm an idiot, so who knows how that works. And you, know, you get to enjoy a 21-year-old piece of ass for a while, and you part as friends. Like, that was wonderful if you both obeyed the campsite rule and the tea and sympathy rule. That's right, yeah. It's awesome. And other pe- you know, the, the, the problem is people look at this and say, because it doesn't have forever potential, it's illegitimate. Yeah, and who and- are we to say, well, w- most relationships don't have forever potential. We just don't know that at the outset. Right. right? Every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to end until one doesn't. That's right. And at least you got to suck off a 21-year-old for a while before it ended. <laughs> and the good thing about sucking off a 21-year-old is they come faster. <laughs> blowjobs are hard work. You don't want to give no blowjob to no middle-aged man, because it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Dan, you're just not giving them right. <laughs> Maybe you could give me a few I, pointers. I'll give you some pointers Let's after the Let's FaceTime the next time you're given a blowjob, yeah, okay. and I will, I will observe closely. My husband is a middle-aged man, and he has no trouble. <laughs> so how many fingers, then? <laughs> you win, you win, you win, you win. <laughs> I'm getting married in July, and my family is Mennonite. I'm atheist. I'm worried about a family blowout if I don't appease them and have a religious ceremony. But I don't want a religious ceremony or event. What should I do? Oh, my goodness. Nah. Ovary up. What'd you say? Ovary up. Ova up. Uh, Ova up. Instead of nut up. Ovary up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's your wedding. You need to do what you want to do. And you can do that in a way that um, you can express that position with kindness and love and respect and generosity. You don't have to tell your family to go fuck themselves. You can say, I love you and I value you and you are among the people who made me who I am, this person who's making this vow um, to this other person and I want you to be there. And I want and you, you to respect come, us. if you don't come, go fuck yourself. That's right. <laughs> so, I, I, mean, I, I lose yeah. my patience as a faggot with these sorts of questions because I uh-huh. get these a lot. Where straight people are wringing their hands about disappointing their families because they're dating the wrong opposite sex partner or they're going to marry Mm -hmm. the opposite sex partner in the incorrect ritual or format. And they come wringing their hands to me like, oh, how do I help me? What do I do? I'm so nervous. Like, bitch, I looked my mother in the face when I was 16 and told her I put dicks in my mouth. (laughs) My mother, the Catholic lay minister. That's right. Yeah. 
Grow a pair of ovaries, for fuck's sake. Yeah? It's your life, and if your parents have a problem with it, they don't get to be a part of it. <laughs> invite them in, and then if they don't walk through the door... Maybe just invite them. them in, like, slightly kindly. Slightly kindly, just... but the trick with parents, and I say this to queer kids all the time, young queer kids, when they're ready to come out and they're in a good place and safe, they're not going to be retaliated against, is the trick, the mental trick you have to play in your head with your parents is... As a queer kid or the atheist kid, a very religious family, don't fear their rejection. Make them fear your rejection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you're in the power position. Your leverage as an adult child over your parents is your presence. And if they can't love you for who you really are and, who you, and be a part of your life and respect you, then they're going to have to change their own diapers when they're 90. Because <laughs> you won't be there. Dear Dan, I'm buying my first house, planning a wedding, and moved across country. Where did my libido go? How do I find her? Oh. Where, where did her libido go? Where do you suppose? No idea. Yeah, moving across the country kills your libido. Um, I think it was the planning the wedding. Planning the, oh, planning the, the wedding. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I will say that, that is just true throughout our lives, our libido comes and goes. Um, have you found this to be true in your own life? No. No. Um, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. I think it's truer for women. I mean, I'm going to generalize about women. I will say in my own life, in the lives of my female friends, this is true. And stress really does have an effect on one's libido. You know, it sounds like maybe there's like all this stuff going on. So you got to like make time for, for sex. I'd say dial it back. I think the how big is your wedding? How obnoxious is it? How many yeah, little that fucking dumb decisions are you making about cocktail napkins and <laughs> parties and bride yeah. shower dinner fuck shit shows? <laughs> Dial it the fuck back. Get married in your backyard, have some champagne, call it a day. Has, yeah. Has your libido really stayed constant throughout your life? Kind of. Really? <laughs> Yeah, really? I guess I'm fortunate. There have been times where we've been so, like, not stressed, but, like, busy and, it like, takes a back seat. Or, uh-huh. you know, there's not time for swinging from the chandeliers and crazy sex, but there's time right. for sit on my face and let's jack off sex. Yeah. But, no, like, constantly horny all the time. Right yeah. now, I'm looking at you, but I'm thinking about sex. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Um. <laughs> you have that effect on gay men. It's weird. That's right, Yeah. Last question. What is a gentle way to ask my relatively new partner to improve their anal hygiene? Oh. Oh, that's a... Yeah, I have a story about somebody once didn't take care of that area and um, sort of grew a hoof and um, that had to have it surgically removed, I swear to God. And, um... Yeah. Like, it was like a butt... It wasn't it was like, like an, a parasitic twin or something? It was no, it a was, hoof? It was an ass hoof. It's, it's a true what story. What is an ass hoof comprised of? <laughs> I'm not kidding. My like dear friend... Poop? It was a dear friend of mine. She was down there with her lover, and there was a hard object, and it was the hoof that had started growing out of his ass because he, like, had not... He was like a hippie, and he didn't like do uh, the wiping. So, so it was like right? butt rasta. Yeah, what the it, fuck yes, was it was like it? a butt rasta, and he had to have it surgically removed, and um, it was a thing. She should have had him surgically removed. <laughs> so I would say this is an important issue. You Don't can, date you can... hippies. It's an important issue. No, I Don't love... date hippies. <laughs> 
I love hippies. I love hippies. A lot of hippies wipe very well, I just want to say. So, so don't send me emails if you, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway. You hippie what basher. Was, what was that? I know, you know, what was the question? Oh, the, the anal hygiene. Yeah, so how to say. What is, the, what is a gentle way to ask my relatively new partner to improve their anal hygiene? And you pivoted to hooves. Well, yeah, I went into it because I had the worst hoof st- ass story. But, you know, I think that one thing, first of all, I would just maybe do it in the shower. You're spraying it down, and then you do whatever. So you wash their butt for them? Well, I would, if, I would take matters into my own hands if I had this issue. Um, I wouldn't wait around. Uh, would you tell them, I'm washing your ass because you're too stupid to wash your ass? Yeah, I think I would. Watch what I'm I doing, would. and then you can do this on your own? You know, I would say... Did you I, have parents? I, I, I don't think there's a gentle way, but just to be like, you know, I, you kind of smell like shit. And... Um, <laughs> Let's just go this take is, a... I'm going to gender that. There's no gender here. A lady, a woman asked this question. I, I, I'm convinced. Like, contradict me if you're out there and I'm incorrect. Say, I'm a dude. I asked this question. Because a guy would say, you want my face down there? Go wash that ass. But a woman socialized to be deferential and never yeah. to hurt a guy's feelings would, like, wring her hands and try to, like, figure out how to say it in a gentle way so as not to hurt his feelings as he waggles his stanky ass in your face. <laughs> And at that moment, you have the right to say, your ass stinks. Yeah. Go take a shower. I'm doing you a favor. I can get my nose down there. You can't. And I have news for you. (laughs) From ass crack land, you smell bad. And before it grows a hoof, you know, I think. Before it grows a hoof. And we're going to leave it there. (laughs) Cheryl Strayed. My bitter rival, my advice columnist, Feud. Hi, Dan. I'm a gay female from the Seattle area uh, in my mid-20s. So my friend's little sister's best friend uh, just was outed by her abusive, shitty mother. And she was outed to her abusive, shitty, conservative, religious family and community. And um, this has led to a lot of really terrible problems for this girl. She's only 16, and she's now dealing with a lot of issues. She becomes suicidal. She's self-harming. And um, there's just a lot of problems surrounding it. My friend... Um, asked if she could give this girl my number uh, because I am a gay female and I'm out and happily so. And I'm also the only openly gay person that her little sister knows. Um, And I'm certainly the only openly gay person who would be able to really talk with this girl. Uh, we also come from kind of similar backgrounds. We've, I also had very religious parents. I've dealt with suicide and self-harm as well. So I was willing to help. The only thing is I have no idea what to say to this kid. Uh, my coming out process, while it wasn't exactly a joy, my parents didn't throw a parade. They weren't horrifically terrible to me. They weren't abusive. They weren't using homophobic language or slurs. They never told me I was going to hell like this girl's parents have. Um, I know the It Gets Better project is wonderful. I recorded a video for it a couple years ago, and it's fantastic. 
but I don't actually have a lot of language when I'm to use when I'm actually speaking with this girl. Um, and I was wondering if there were some resources in the Seattle area or if you could maybe help me give her some advice. Um, also, I'm a little worried about the backlash. Her parents sound kind of insane, and I don't know what to do if they find out I'm talking with this girl. That's not enough to deter me completely, but I would like to maybe get your advice on what to do if they decide to go completely crazy at me. The age of consent in Washington state, you say you're in the Seattle area, assume this girl is nearby. The age of consent is 16. So this girl's parents, they couldn't come after you for fucking their daughter, which you have no plans to do, nor should you do. They really can't do anything about you talking with their daughter. I would encourage you to encourage your friend's little sister to give her best friend, your phone number, and just to be there for her. You say you have no idea what to say to this kid. Maybe you just need to listen to this kid. Maybe she just needs to vent. And maybe you'll have a better idea what to say to this kid after you speak with this kid and you hear what she has to say. You hear what she's going through. There are resources out there. The best place to start uh, for resources for anybody who's coming out at her age is PFLAG. And they should be able to direct you to resources uh, for queer kids, queer youth. I'm sure the PFLAG organization in Washington State will know where the LGBT youth support groups are in your area and in her area if she doesn't live in Seattle by you. Um, And you should be able to line all that up with just a little bit of internet sleuthing and a couple of phone calls. Whatever resources are out there for her, you should be able to find pretty quickly. I think – Finding those things is so much easier today than they used to be. First of all, there's so many more resources available and it's so much easier to find them. God bless you, Google. God bless you, organizations like PFLAG with your comprehensive websites and referrals and resource lists. Harder to find often for LGBT kids who are 16 years old, whose parents are bullying them, is the kind, understanding adult queer person who's been through what they're going through and is willing to hear them out and listen to them and just be the sounding board and to offer some counsel. You navigated this. It wasn't as rough for you when you were coming out at 16 as it is for her because you had family that while not you know perfectly supportive, wasn't hostile and antagonistic like this poor kid's got, which doubles who are already quadrupled risk for suicide, by the way. Listen to her. Be there for her. Illuminate that path from just come out teenager dealing with the fallout of that coming out or having been outed to secure queer adulthood. You walked that path. You must have friends who've walked that path. You should be able to help illuminate that for her. I would also encourage you to speak with your friend, with the little sister whose best friend this is about their family and about the fact that a lot of LGBT kids in this kid's circumstance wind up homeless. 40% of all homeless youth are LGBT kids who were kicked out after they came out or were outed to their families, the worst bullies that LGBT kids encounter all too often are their own fucking parents. This kid needs to create a backup plan. She needs to find a place that she can go if things at home get awful and the adults in her orbit, in her life, who could take her in need to think about whether they can take her in. And they need to tell her that she has a backup plan, that she has a place to go so that if it really gets horrible at home, she doesn't run away. LGBT kids who wind up homeless 
wind up engaging in survival prostitution at much higher rates than other homeless teenagers. People need to step up and let this kid know that if push comes to shove, if things get really ugly, that her choice isn't the horrible abusive home that she's in or the streets, but that she has people who can put her up, who can take her in, who can help her get through the next couple of years, get her out of high school, get her through high school, let her know that she has a net. If she knows that, she may be less likely to run away, less likely to leave the home that she's in now. But I think what you do right now is you have your phone number and you pass it along. Before you make the call, before she calls you, get online, go to PFLAG, find the phone numbers and websites that this kid's going to need, share them with her, and start gaming it out with the people you know who know her, who are hooking you up with her about whether they're adults in her community or in her life that can stand up and be there for her if she needs to get out of that horrible house and away from those horrible non-parents that she's stuck with. Hi, Dan. I'm a straight female in her late 20s, and I've been in a monogamous relationship for eight years now. Two years ago, while my boyfriend and I were temporarily living long distance for work, I went out with a group of friends, and we were violently robbed at gunpoint. It was a very traumatizing experience. In the aftermath, we were all experienced PTSD in some form, and I leaned on my friends for comfort. I became even closer to one of my very good guy friends, and I ended up cheating on my boyfriend with him. Therapists have told me this is actually quite common and said we were trauma-bonded, as I don't think I would have cheated had I not had a lot of emotional turmoil and confusion. I told my boyfriend, and he was obviously devastated. He told me the only way for us to continue to be together is if I completely cut my good friend out of my life. It was extremely difficult, and I even fought it for a while, but eventually realized, despite the bond I had with my friend, that my boyfriend needed this in order to feel secure in a relationship with me again. Since then, we have lived together again and have done a lot of healing. However, in two years still, I carry a lot of sadness, regret, and guilt concerning ruining my friendship with my friend. Any given the day of the week, I will have intense dreams about my friends that aren't sexual in any way, but are just depressing and make me feel like a terrible person and friend and totally fuck with my day. I need closure because I'm still struggling with this. My question is, how do I find that closure? And if I think I need to talk to my friend in order to reach that closure, do I have a right to ask my boyfriend for that? I never felt like my boyfriend really acknowledged that what happened wasn't some planned long-term infidelity. I understand that my friend and I were probably on the lines of emotional fare before the actual cheating, but part of that was the bond we formed and the fact that my boyfriend wasn't very empathetic about my trauma after the robbery in the first place. Even um, when therapists have acknowledged in couple sessions that my behavior was mostly linked with reaction to trauma, he still thinks I was just being selfish and careless. Having said that, my boyfriend is obviously an amazing man. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been with him this long. But I feel like I need to talk to my friend to get some closure. And I know bringing it up will just open up a lot of wounds and a lot of sadness again. Um, some people have suggested that I reach out to my friend without telling my boyfriend, but I don't want to lie. Do I even have a right to ask for this? Or is my boyfriend in the right to ask for a complete disconnect between my friend and I forever? It seems to me that, and I hate to blame the victim, that you've made a series of mistakes here. Your first mistake perhaps was telling your boyfriend about fucking your good friend in the wake of the traumatic experience of the robbery. 
you know, you say that you told him what happened and he was completely devastated. Sometimes the loving thing to do is not tell. Honesty is not always the best policy. If you have a one-off infidelity, if you cheat on the person that you're with and that you love and what you took away from that experience was regret and uh, a conviction that that's not something you would ever do again, lesson learned, you are not honor bound to run to your partner and shift the you know burden to their shoulders to dump your shit on them. They often, you know, if you could give them a truth serum and put them under and they're not going to remember the conversation, you could ask them, would you want to know this? And I bet 99% of the time they would say, no, I would like to continue to regard you as someone who couldn't possibly cheat on me, even though you did that one time and what you came to afterward was never again, never again. Let me live in the never again, but believe never ever. That was your first mistake. Your second mistake was staying with this guy after he insisted, despite what the couple's counselor told you, despite the circumstances, after he insisted that you cut off all contact with your very good friend. That was your second mistake. Your third mistake was, or perhaps this is the first mistake, I'm getting my mistakes out of order, was when your boyfriend reacted unsympathetically and, and uncompassionately to this traumatic experience that you had been through. If the person you are with can't bust out the sympathy and the empathy and the caregiving in the wake of a robbery that left you traumatized, why are you with that person? What happens when the bad shit, the other, the more bad shit comes your way? All long-term relationships are kind of, you know, a deathbed pact, right? The, the, the assumption if we're going to be together forever, if we get married and make a lifetime commitment is I'm going to be there with you when the shit hits the fan, when things are ugly, when you are suffering or you are traumatized and I'm going to take care of you and you are going to take care of me when that shit comes my way. Well, shit came your way and he failed that test. You were put through a terrible and traumatic experience and he was a shitbag to you about it. What happens if you get breast cancer? What happens if you lose a child? What happens if your parents drop dead or in a car accident? Or you, what happens – what can you infer was going to happen when those challenges and that ugly bad shit hitting the fan – that is a part of life when those that are invariably coming your way, come your way. Can you trust that he's going to be there for you? Can you trust that he's going to have the right and loving response? If even before he found out about the fucking the guy, he was shitty to you about the, or unsympathetic or uncaring, ungiving, not there for you after the robbery. He's been making you feel like you've done something terrible and you've done something wrong. And you know, his love for you is conditional and that you have to earn back his trust. And I think that that's backwards. I think you need to let him know that you are done feeling guilty and shitty about this and that it's time for him to start feeling guilty and shitty about the way that he's treated you. And he needs to be able to see that and own it and eat it or you're out. And when you're having that conversation, you should let him know that you're done walling this person off, that you're going to have lunch with him and have a convo with him, if only for closure, and you're not asking for his permission, you're telling him. If that ends your relationship with him, good. 
Hey, Dan, just listening to episode 422 and just an extension of the thinking that you were doing for the guy with the uh, thought question, what if the whole world turned gay, where would the babies come from? I loved your answer. The other thing that, that came to my mind was that if only gay people were having children, because it is so much harder for us to have one. I have a two-year-old uh, made by IUI myself. It is so much more thoughtful, right, when we have our children, that therefore there would no longer be unwanted children. There would no longer be a need for abortion. There would be far fewer crimes committed because all the unwanted children would not be in existence to become criminals. Um, and I think everybody would be happier. So really, let's all be gay. Um, responding to the guy who uh, gave this uh, sort of tired arguments about uh, what if everyone turned gay, the whole world would collapse. It's uh, You can make the same argument for anything. If uh, everyone did one thing, then the whole world would collapse. If everyone decided to be an actor, then no roads would be built. No hospitals would be staffed with doctors. Society would collapse. Therefore, going to see movies is evil. It's the same sort of uh, inanity. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about this uh, strange dude that called in about an alternative universe in which straight people disappear from the earth and his fears about the fate of humanity based on this fantasy. Uh, I liked your answer to his question, but I don't think you carried the scenario out quite far enough. Um, I agree completely that uh, gay people would continue to have babies, produce babies through modern scientific methods, as you described. Uh, what you didn't mention is that the vast majority of those babies being produced and raised by gay people, gay parents, the majority of them would end up growing up into being straight adults and would continue to reproduce and have even more straight babies that grow into straight adults. So this has always been the case throughout human history. So the uh, dickhead that called in need not fear. And I have to wonder, since he mentioned that he's uh, told this scenario to many, many people, I wonder if it's something that he would really like to see happen, to see an all-gay world. It seems to be a fantasy of his. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Looking at the Twitter, Gary Wood at GRWood tweets, I love delivering the mail to the LDS place while listening to the Savage Lovecast. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for delivering the mail. And thank you for listening to the Savage Lovecast. And give my regards to the Latter-day Saints. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but we're planning on doing another One Minute Wonder show. That's where we ask all of you out there with questions that can be asked in 60 seconds or less to call in and record your short questions. And I will do a show where I try to answer all those 60 seconds or less questions in 120 seconds or less. I get two minutes to answer your one minute questions. It's only fair. And we tear through as many questions and answers as we possibly can during a regular show. So give us a buzz, 206-201-2720 with your One Minute Wonder questions. And look forward to that One Minute Wonder show. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Cheryl Strayed on Twitter at Cheryl Strayed. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.